Well, hey, welcome to X Church. Man, we are so honored to have you. No matter where you're tuning in from, whether you're at your house, in a car, in a park, it doesn't matter. Hey, we're excited to have you with us. Thank you for joining us for summer at the X. I don't know how your summer is going so far, but this has definitely been a crazy, crazy summer. I think we all know that. But listen, I am really excited to be back preaching. I really am. Did you guys miss me at all? Just a little bit? No? I, I just... Hey, listen, I just, I want to take a moment, though, and uh, I was able to get away for just a little bit, and I want to thank Pastor Russ for bringing some incredible messages. Can you just, in the chat right there, just thank him and honor him? What incredible words that we got to hear the last couple weeks that have just been so encouraging to us, so timely for what we're going through. I found myself, you know, just inspired, but also deeply challenged by those messages. You know, I think a great sermon is not just one that you want to say amen to, but it's one that challenges some of the things you don't want to say amen to. I think that's what makes a great sermon, am I right, Janice? That's what makes a great sermon. But anyways, I'm glad to be back preaching with you. Uh, my family, we got to get away for a little bit. We went on a road trip. I don't know if you guys are going on a road trip. So many of us aren't flying this summer, but we like to road trip in our family, probably because I'm too cheap to fly wherever we go on vacation. Can I get a witness from anybody here that feels that way? <laughs> we tend to drive more often than not. We went down to Florida. That is my wife's favorite state in the entire country. Any chance we get, we are in Florida. She loves the weather. She loves the sunshine. She loves the water. In fact, every time we're driving by, we see water. She points it out to us every single time. Look, water. Isn't it beautiful? Every time. And so we got to go down with friends and family, and of course, we take a road trip. And I don't know what road trips are like for you, but I have two pet peeves when it comes to road trips. Two things. First, I can't stand doing road trips with other cars. I, I can't stand it. I don't know if any of you guys like to do that. I love to go on vacation with family and friends, but I don't want to get there together, okay? Because whenever you're always driving with someone else, my wife gets so mad at me for being inconsiderate, for driving way past them and not keeping them in my rearview mirror. Can I get a witness? Are you with me on that, Eric? Come on. I, I just, I, every time we carpool, with somebody else. I love going on vacation with people, but I feel like it just really hurts my, I feel like there's a NASCAR potential in me, and I feel like it always cuts into that. Every road trip, my goal is to break a land speed record without getting caught. Okay, I did not just admit that on camera right here. I always within the speed limit, I'm just going to say, you should use Waze, by the way. It is incredible. You also use Waze? Waze, here's why Waze is the greatest app for traveling. It's because people will tell you where the police are. Yeah. Amen. Thank you. You're with me, Tucker. I appreciate that, man. And, and so, listen, we, we traveled down, and uh, that, that's my first pet peeve. And so we got to, to ride solo. I love that. My second pet peeve for road trips is I ride all the time in a vehicle full of women. I'm not saying that to say anything about women or men, but... I don't know if it's a girl thing, a guy thing, or if it's just my family thing, but they have to stop to go to the bathroom like every single hour. Do you know what I'm talking about? Any of you ever? I'm telling you, it does not matter. Why can't they get on the same schedule? I have no idea. But they have to go to the bathroom, and there's nothing that drives me crazier. We got at this one stop, 
And uh, my wife asked me this, this one stop. Uh, she went to the restroom, of course, and she had me get in line at Starbucks. And she said, I want this venti something, something, something. And I got to the counter, and, I, and, and she was standing there, and I said, venti. I said, isn't that the, the big one? Is that what the big one is? I don't know Starbucks language, but isn't that the big one? I said, I'm not getting you venti. I said, no way. She was like, give me venti. I was like, I'm not getting you venti. You're, you, you have to pee every hour. I said, I'm going to get you grande. So I got her venti, and we just continued down the road, and we kept having to stop over and over. Those are my pet peeves when it comes to summer road trips. I don't know if you're taking a summer road trip, but I think sometimes the worst road trips are the ones where you feel like you're never going to get there. You ever feel like that where you're just riding in every sign you see, it feels like it hasn't changed and the destination is hundreds of miles away. I got to be honest with you. I kind of feel like 2020 has been a road trip from hell. Anybody else? I feel like at least back in March, Eric, we all piled into our minivans or our SUVs or whatever it is. And we started off on this road trip. And the honest truth is there is no destination. That's what it feels like with this pandemic. Like, we are never going to get there. We're never going to get beyond this. I don't know if it feels like that to you, but that's, that's what it feels like. I, I just like, let's be honest and say it feels so, it's so difficult where it feels like we're on this trip together, but we don't know when we're ever going to get there, how we're ever going to land. And in fact, I don't know if you guys know this, if you have your Bibles, I, I want to show you a story today, uh, but there, there's a a family, really more than a family, they become a nation that actually went on a road trip. The nation of Israel, when they left Egypt, if you follow this story in the Old Testament, they actually went on this road trip, a summer road trip through the wilderness, the desert, the hot sun. And I want you to imagine with me, I don't like to caravan with other vehicles on our road trips. Maybe you're like that. I just want you to picture with me, if you would, uh, a road trip with about 2 million people, if you include kids, that's what's estimated, okay, um, animals, donkeys, livestock, okay, can you imagine, this is a huge road trip they took, God's in the pace car, he's out in front leading with a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night, he was just kind of out in front, and imagine this kind of road trip with that many people, can you imagine the amount of bathroom breaks? No one wants to talk about that, right? But I'm picturing this, this nation of Israel that is traveling, and they go through some real challenges. And I couldn't help but think, man, I feels like that's what we're living. We're in a road trip this summer. And so here's what I want to do for the next few weeks. I want us to kind of go on a road trip with them. And so if you would join us for the next few weeks, I really feel like there's some things that we can discover in their road trip, their story, that will impact us as we're in journey. All of us, we're in this together. This pandemic, we've seen the numbers and the cases climbing this summer, the, the threat of, of locking down things and wearing masks everywhere. We see that, and it feels like it's never going to end. That's the way it felt like for the Israelites. And so I want to pick up their story. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to go grab it. Put down your oatmeal, your orange juice for a second. Go grab a paper Bible, if you would, if you've got that. Maybe use your electronic. That's fine. But I want you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 15. Go with me to Exodus chapter 15. We're going to look at their story as they go on this road trip. Now, to set up the road trip right before they take off on this road trip, God does an incredible miracle. You may know this if you've seen them, you know, some of the movies they've made about it. 
But, but after they were let go out of Egypt in slavery, they, they kind of followed God right to the edge of the Red Sea. Maybe you've heard this story. And uh, the, the Egyptians changed their mind. They decide they're going to come down and they're going to capture the Israelites, take them back for slavery. And they're hemmed in, locked in, don't know what to do. And God does an incredible miracle, parts the waters. They walk through on dry ground, get to the other side, turn around. God just brings the waters back and floods the Egyptian army, kills them all as they stand there on dry ground. Now, imagine that is the setting for your road trip. I mean, you can't start your road trip better than that, Tucker. You can't. I mean, that is like all of the highway patrol just got called off shift and you are wide open on the freeway. I mean, it doesn't get much better than this. Exodus chapter 15, starting with verse 22. Here's the road trip. Let's go on it together and let's learn something that's going to be helpful for us in this season that we're in. Exodus 15, verse 22, it says this. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. And when they came to Marah, it says they could not drink its water because it was bitter. And then the writer, most believe it's Moses, actually put a little parenthetical phrase in there. That's why the place is called Marah. Marah means bitter, if you're wondering. It says, verse 24, So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Now let's pause there for a moment. Here's the setting for their road trip. It's already started. It's three days into this journey, okay? Three-day road trip. They head off into the desert, and immediately they're struck with the pain of a desert. I don't know if you've been around desert. I don't know if you've ever done a road trip in the desert. One time my wife and I and a couple, we actually, we, we actually had visited Vegas and rented a car and drove through the desert to get to L.A. one time. But not quite the same as their experience. And here they are, and here's the thing about deserts. If you've ever been around desert climates, they're hot, they're arid, they're dusty, they're difficult, let alone back in this setting, and they can't even find water. This is the setting for their road trip. And they go into the desert of Shur. This is the desert of Shur. Now, the word Shur means wall. I found this interesting. It's like they ran into a wall, Tucker. They ran right into a wall of wilderness. And I found something really ironic about the name of the desert. The desert, this is interesting, was called Shur. Here's why that's ironic. Because what you need to understand is there is nothing sure about a desert experience. Have you ever had a desert experience? It's a metaphor that a lot of times people use when we talk about deserts. We talk about when you go through something extreme, when you go through something hard, when you go through something painful. Kind of sounds like a pandemic. Here's one thing I know about every single one of you. I know about every single one of you watching this from wherever you're watching it from. We are all going through a desert experience right now. You've gone through other desert experiences, painful experiences, and they go into the desert of sure, but here's what we know is that there's nothing sure about our desert experiences. They're, they're, they, weren't, they weren't sure they were going to find water. Food wasn't a sure thing. Surviving wasn't a sure thing. I, I mean, this is the only thing that's sure about a desert experience is that it's painful, that it's hot that it's exhausting, that it's tiring. And the truth is this, uh, so many of us have 
have wandered in our life into seasons that are incredibly painful, that we would say, man, I feel like I'm in the desert. Could you imagine going three days journey and you can't get water? Three days on this road trip with no water. Come to think about it, that actually sounds like a great road trip to me. Because <laughs> I don't want to stop to go to the bathroom. But the truth is, I want you to picture like two million people traveling through a wilderness, running out of water. It's hot. The heat, exhaustion, dehydration. Kids can't go on, falling out, animals dying in the desert. Imagine this. It says that they traveled three days, no sign of water. Their canteens are running out. They have no more water. They're desperate. They feel like they're going to die in the desert. And then all of a sudden, someone yells, I see water. Oh, that'd be the greatest feeling in the world. That's like when you're on a road trip and you've been on empty and your gas light's been on, but you haven't found an exit with a little gas station sign. And all of a sudden you find one right as you're on dashes. Then all of a sudden, imagine you pull in the exit. When you get there, the only gas station in that place is a ghost town and shut down. That's what it was like. Someone yells water and they get up to this place where there's a pond of water only for someone to taste it and spit it out of their mouth because it said it was bitter. It was bitter. Can you imagine the disappointment? Can you imagine the defeat? You know, the human body can go days and days without eating. But they say after about three days without water that we won't make it. Here they are. Think about this. At the edge of just giving up. And all of a sudden they find water, but they can't drink it. I just, I just think about the disappointment that that is. And I don't know if some of you watching this right now, the reality is that some of you have, you've experienced that in life. Some of you have gone through some things in life where, where you have faced incredible disappointments, incredible things that were bitter to the taste that really just left you defeated when it comes to your faith. Reminds me of 2016. 2016, our church was setting uh, in the direction of building a new facility in Canal Winchester. By the way, that was four years ago. We're going to open soon. I cannot wait. I'm excited. That's around the corner, guys. But I want you to just consider with me that we were starting back in 2016. In 2016, things started to progress and move and out of nowhere, this was a godsend. I was sure uh, a, a real estate developer contacted us about selling the front few acres of our property. And we spent over a month, a month and a half, going back and forth, finally reached a purchase agreement, signed purchase agreement, and then lawyers and going back and forth. This was like a, a month and a half. We kind of found some roadblocks and then we came across them and we came over them and then we, we accomplished everything. And it was going to pay our church to help with this project upwards of two and a half million dollars. All we needed was the board of directors to sign off on it. And after a month and a half, Thousands of dollars, lawyers. I mean, this was going to take a huge weight off our shoulders. This was, I thought this was the answer to prayer. This was it. The board of directors came back and they decided to deny it. And if I could just tell you how incredibly defeating it was. It was bitter. It, it was tasting bitter waters. 
I know that's one. That's just one story. And I know you've got stories. And I know you faced incredible disappointment. I know that there are things in your life. I, I know there are people that have left you. I know there are situations that some of you have walked through in the past four months that has left a bitter taste in your mouth. Many of you feel like you've been living in Mara. Let me just tell you something about Mara. Mara isn't just a place. Mara is the condition of our souls. Mara is not just a place we visit. It's not just some bitter waters, but Mara is the condition of our souls. And there's a lot of you that are in a place right now where you feel bitter. Bitter toward somebody else. Or maybe even bitter toward God. What this has done to your family, what this has done to your kids, what this has done to your job, what this has done to your finances, what this has done to your health, that, that has left you in a place where you, you feel bitter. And I understand that. Something about going through a desert experience that tends to leave a bitter taste in our mouth. It's kind of like, imagine this for them. It's like being stranded in the ocean. This is the, the perfect analogy of being on a life raft, sta- stranded in the ocean, surrounded by water everywhere, but you have nothing you can drink. That's what it's like. I think that's what this experience has been like for a lot of people, this pandemic. Here's the thing. When life gets bitter, what do you do? You know, know there's an old adage, right? When life gives you lemons, what are you supposed to do? Make lemonade. That's not what we do most of the time, though. When life gives us lemons, you know what we do most of the time? We get mad at the one who gave us the lemons. Let's be honest. When life gets hard, what we do is we look for someone to blame. When life gets bitter, I want to blame someone. That's what I want to do. I know that's what we want to do. Think about your own situation, your own life. When things get difficult, when things get tight financially, what are we doing? We look for someone to blame. When we didn't get into the school that we wanted to get into, somebody's at fault for this. And, and, and we go through life, whenever something bitter happens to us, we look for someone to blame in that situation. Some of you are blaming your parents for the situation that you've been in. You're, you're blaming the government for the economy. You're blaming leaders because of the decisions that they're making. And what I have found in my life, and this is I think in all of our lives that when life gets bitter, what we tend to do is we tend to fight and argue with everybody around us because we're looking for someone to blame. This is why so many marriages have struggled in the midst of a pandemic. Some of you watching right now, you know what I'm talking about. We in our church have experienced and seen people who have gone through a divorce in the middle of the pandemic, who have gone back to addictions in the middle of the pandemic. Why? Because when we go through a bitter season in our life, what we end up doing is looking for someone to blame in life and because we need to take out our frustration, our anger on somebody. And so all of a sudden, now we're going to find somebody that we're going to fight with. This is why they say that more marriages end over financial stress than anything else. Why is it that we, when we're in a financial stress in our marriages that we don't get on the same side and say we're going to be in this together? Why is it that in the middle of a pandemic when there's a virus that is taking out people that we in this nation aren't coming together to stand in solidarity? Instead, we're at each other's throats. Amen. It's because the virus is not an enemy that we can blame. I mean, you can blame it, but you can't fight the virus. It's a microscopic. There's, you know, that's like, I want to, I want to, I'm mad at the virus. What's that going to do? We can't do anything about the virus. 
So what are we doing? We're trying to find someone to blame. Well, this leader did this, and they made that decision, and I don't think it's real, or oh, it's incredibly real, or the governor did this, or the president did this, or the mayor did this. We're trying to find somebody to fight with. We want somebody to blame when life gets bitter. And when we can't find an enemy, we tend to blame God. That's what we do. So here's what the Israelites did. They blamed the only one they could find, and that was Moses. It says they turn on Moses. Moses, why did you bring us out here? Why'd you bring us out? We could have stayed in Egypt. I wish we'd have just died in Egypt with the rest of them. Moses, they began to blame Moses because that's what we do like it was his idea. Can I tell you that this whole entire experience, this road trip, was not Moses' idea. Moses didn't want to do it. And you can say it was God's idea. I would argue and say it wasn't even God's idea. This was their idea. They were the ones crying out to God because of their slavery to say, God, would you get us out of here? And then when God did get them out of there and he used Moses and he did all these miracles and these plagues to get them out of there and he takes them and they get into some hardship, all of a sudden now they've got to find someone to blame. And so Moses, can I tell you what? Moses, Moses feels the weight of this. Moses feels the weight of leadership. You'll see that in his response. I'm going to read it in a moment. But here's what I want to say to those of you who are watching this. In a pandemic, in a situation like we're in today, I think one of the things that we need to recognize is that our tendency is to blame our leaders, the business owners, whoever's making these decisions, and here's what we often say, because guess what? Everybody's got an opinion, and now we got social media. Everybody gets to share their opinion all over. Well, if I were in charge, well, I would have opened back up. Well, I, I wouldn't open back up. Well, I would do this. Well, I would do that. Can I just tell you, you don't know what you would do until you are sitting in the seat where you have the weight of leadership on your shoulders. That's why I've got grace. I've got grace for our leaders. I've got grace for our governor. I've got grace for people because you know what? No matter what they do, it won't be good enough for everybody. Why do you think so many people that are in a place of leadership in the pandemic have resigned? Dr. Amy Acton resigned. Why? It's because everybody knows the right thing to do, but until you have the weight on your shoulders, you have no idea. You have no idea. That's why we can give grace. We should give grace to our leaders, the ones who are trying to navigate. By the way, I don't, however many of you have ever been through a pandemic, go ahead and raise your hand. Stick your hand up in the, uh, in the chat. I would love to know that. There's none of us have been through this. We're all trying to figure it out. So Moses does what anybody would do if you're in his shoes, feeling the weight of it. Here, here's what Moses does. Moses, it says in verse 25, he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. And he threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. And there the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord I would encourage, if you got your Bible, underline this last part, who heals you. 
I'm the Lord who heals you. Moses turns, God, what do I do? And God shows him a piece of wood. What's interesting in the original Hebrew language, show isn't really the best word. In fact, it's more of like for somebody to place something there. It's like God threw a, a tree or a piece of wood right in front of Moses. I don't know what to do. Here you go. He says, take this piece of wood and throw it in the water. And he threw it in the waters at Marah, and all of a sudden they became fit to drink. Now, I know some of you are trying to go, okay, what's the science behind that? I have no idea. I don't know that you could figure out the science behind it. I just think that happens to be another one of those miracles that God performed for them to show his provision in the middle of the desert. And it's in this really hard, difficult place that God shows up in a powerful way. Can I just tell you something? Because I think there's something to that. You find this rhythm throughout the Bible that God uses bitter moments in our life. God uses hardships in our life. These tend to be every hardship, every hard moment is really a setup for God to do some unique things in our life. In fact, I would say that there are two things that God wants to do in our life right now in the pandemic. In a hard time like this, there are some things that God wants to do in and through us. The first one, if you want to write this down, but God will use every hard moment to test your faith. That's what he said in there. He said, I, this is a test. Remember, they were following him into the desert. God's setting these, the pace car. He's like, all right, here we go. Three days in, and now they're out of water, and they're dying, and they're, they're angry at Moses. They're angry at God. They're blaming someone for the bitter experience. God says, if they will, I'm, I'm going to use this as a test. I think if there's anything that this, this pandemic has done, it has revealed the real foundation of our faith, guys. If there's anything that has tested the authenticity of our faith, it's this pandemic. It's been easy sometimes, I think, just to, 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 to fake it, to, to show up at church and maybe act like, you know, it's like, I, I got it all together. But if there's anything that a hard season in your life will do is it will reveal the foundation of your faith. God will use every bitter moment to test your faith. He wants to prove your faith. He wants to harden your faith. He wants to solidify your faith. God will use every hardship to test your faith. The other thing that God will do is he'll use every hard moment to show his power. Do you know I love miracles? You like miracles, Hannah? What's your favorite miracle? Manna? <laughs> I call her Hannah Manna, so that's why. But I, I, I think God uses every hard moment to reveal his power. To reveal who he is. And I love miracles throughout the Bible. But if you were to go back to see every miracle where God shows up, what you're going to discover is there is some type of crisis before it. What I like is to see God's power. What I don't like is to go through a hardship. But so many of us, we want to see God's power, but we don't want to go through. I love the fact that God will part the Red Sea. I just don't want to be standing there with a Red Sea at flood stage and an Egyptian army pressing in down on me. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I want to know that God is my provider and see the miracle of his provision. But man, can I just tell you, I don't want to get to a place where things are so tight that I don't know if I'm going to make it. But God said in that moment, 
that if you will follow me and listen to me, he says, I'm, never gonna, I'm not going to bring those things on you. In fact, here's what I want you to do, and I want you to know, and he revealed himself in a unique way to the Israelites. They had never known him this way. You see, they had seen all the plagues where God brought destruction and brought death, but they had never seen God operate as a healer. And so God, what did he do? He revealed himself as healer, Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord. I am the one who heals you. Can, can I just tell you something that's so cool? I was looking at this story. I noticed this, that God didn't just want to heal the waters at Marah. God wanted to heal their soul. God said, I'll give you something you need to heal your situation. But what I'm really trying to show you is that I am the God who heals you. I want to heal you. I don't know right now, and I'm looking in the camera, and I'm talking to somebody, but I don't know what painful things you've been going through. I don't know what kind of emotional turmoil you've been in. I don't know what kind of disappointment you've been facing, but can I just tell you something? God maybe has been using that moment to reveal something to you about his character, about his nature, and about his power that God wants to show up, and he wants to heal the areas of your life that are bitter. The areas of your life where you have all but given up. Can I ask you a question? What do you need God to heal in you right now? What do you need God to heal in you right now? Someone abandoned you. And that's been bitter for a long time. You had a failure in life, business. Feel like you've never been able to recover. It's been bitter. Watch your kid run in the wrong direction. Get caught in drugs. and You begged and pleaded and prayed for God to do something in their life. and It's been bitter. Somebody's hurt you and you haven't been able to forgive them. I'm just, I'm just asking and I just believe right now the Spirit of God wants to, He wants to bring a healing to your soul. So many of us, we want God to heal our situation. I, like many of you, have been praying nonstop, God, would you give us a, a vaccine? God, would you, would you take away this virus? And we haven't seen it yet. We haven't. And sometimes what I want is I want God to heal my situation. But sometimes what God really wants to do is he wants to heal you. He wants to heal the person, not the water. And the worst thing that you can do when you get to a Mara place, when you get to a place where it's bitter and it's painful. The worst thing that you can do is camp there. The worst thing that they could have done would say, okay, I guess we'll set up camp here. And that's what we do a lot of times when life gets bitter. Let's be honest. We live there. I camp there. I stay right there. I, I don't, I disconnect. I, I stop walking with God. I stop talking with God. I stop connecting with my, my Christian circle, 
my church circle, my friends, my accountability. I, I kind of distance myself because I'm bitter, because I'm angry at God. I'm angry at others. I'm angry. I got, I'm just upset. I'm just disappointed. I don't get it. I can't get beyond this. And so what do we do? We set up camp in Mara. And bitterness takes root in our heart. Our soul just gets weighed down by the bitterness of disappointment and failure in life and setbacks. She's like, God, why did you, why won't you? If I could just tell you the worst thing you could do is to give up in that moment. Don't stay in Mara. You see what the Israelites didn't know when they got to Mara was what God had for them just beyond Mara. I gotta show you this. This is so cool. Look at verse 27 with me. Right after this moment, it says, Then they came to Elim. Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees. Man, that sounds like Florida. Amen. There were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. They didn't stay in Mara. They went just a little bit further, and all of a sudden, what do they find? They discover an oasis with not just one little body of water, one little pond that's bitter water, that, but they, they run into springs of water where fresh water in the middle of the desert would just continually come up, and it was just beyond where they were. Do you, you know, if you look at a map, this is so fascinating, you look at a map and you trace from Mara in the desert where they stopped first with the bitter waters to Elim. Do you know that it's somewhere around six or seven miles beyond it? I want you to imagine they traveled for three days. There's no more water. They're out of water. They're done for. They're dead. And what they didn't realize is six or seven miles further, there is a Caribbean beach resort from the land of Disney right there. God showed me something that was so cool. This is a, a word to encourage someone today. I don't know if any of you are runners. Any of you runners? Any of you? No, no. I'm with you. I'm a bodybuilder. I'm not a runner. I know it looks like it, but I, I'm, I'm not a runner. But, but my dad, I remember uh, this is back in the 80s. My dad ran the Columbus Marathon, trained for it. Some of you are marathon runners. I don't get you. I don't understand what's wrong with you but that's okay. And uh, you talk to marathon runners or ultra marathon runners and they'll all tell you that when they run the race, that before they get to the end, as they get so far into it, that they tend to hit what's called the wall. You heard of the wall? They hit the wall. And most runners hit the wall around the 19 or 20 mile mark. That's when the body wants to shut down. If you talk to a runner, they'll tell you if they've hit the wall. Your body is screaming, stop, don't move. Every part just cramps up and just, you cannot go any further. You just, you want, everything says stop, stop at the 19, 20 mile mark. Isn't it so interesting that six to seven miles further, just like a marathon's 26.2 miles, six to seven miles beyond the wall, was the provision that God had for them. 
What I'm trying to say is some of you have gotten so that disappointment has discouraged, has just stopped you in your tracks. You have camped at Mara. And what I came to tell you is you need to keep going. You simply need to keep going. You just keep walking. If you have to, you keep clawing and you drag yourself and you pull yourself. That's what faith looks like sometimes. Sometimes faith isn't always just butterflies and rainbows. Sometimes faith, you got to go through the valley of the shadow of death. You want to give up. You want to stop. That's the last place you need to stop. What you really need to do is keep going. Sometimes all you can do full of doubts is just keep walking. Sometimes when you say, I don't see a destination, I know, just keep going. I don't know how I'm going to ever get out of this situation. Just keep trusting God. Listen, it's way easier to preach than it is to live. But I wonder if God's word for you today is just keep going. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't say this doesn't work. God's not real. See, that's what the Israelites thought when they got to Mara, but they didn't realize what was beyond it. And let me just tell you something. You won't get to the oasis until you go through the Mara. We want the oasis and the blessing that God has for us. A lot of times the blessing is on the other side of a bitter season, a painful thing to walk through. But God didn't call them to camp at Mara. He was taking them to Elim. Can I ask this question today as we close? What does God need to heal in you? What residual bitterness is still, taste is still in your mouth that God wants to heal in your life? I love the picture of how God healed the waters. There's something so beautiful in it. I don't know if you caught it. How did God heal? Do you remember how he healed the bitter waters? Do you remember how he did? How did he heal them? A piece of wood. God provided a piece of wood in the middle of the desert so that Moses could stick it in the water and it would heal the waters. Is it possible that that was a foreshadowing of how God would heal your soul and my soul. Is it possible? Because by the way, if you look in the original language, that, it's not like he just looked and there it was. But literally the Hebrew word, it looks like it was placed there. It was like God provided a tree. Do you know that the word, the NIV translated a piece of wood, but it is the word that is used for tree throughout the entire Old Testament. What I'm saying is that this is a foreshadowing of how God would bring your healing and my healing through Jesus, his only son. God provided Jesus. It was the only thing, the only answer to the bitterness of sin in our world that God sent Jesus and Jesus died upon a tree. It was a piece of wood that was used on the hill of Calvary to bring healing for what ails our soul. And today, if you will reach out for him, he wants to bring healing to those places in your life. I don't know where you need God to touch, but I believe right now that by his spirit, no matter where you are, that God wants to do a work in you. Come on, would you let him? Would you let him today? Would you bow your heads? Would you just maybe pray with me?
Can we just take a moment as we turn to God right now? This is between you and him. I want to ask that question again. This is where you can be honest with God. What does God need to heal in you today? What past hurts, disappointments, failures, sins does God need to heal in your soul today? Listen, I believe that the Spirit of God is with you wherever you are. That you don't have to be in this room with me. That right where you are, that the Spirit of God, He wants to bring a healing. I want to pray for you. God, I pray for every hurting person. I pray for every person that is struggling, that feels like they are stuck in Mara. God, I pray that you would heal what is hurting. I pray, God, that you would show them the path to healing. I pray for every situation of abuse that has never been healed. I pray, God, for every situation of loss that has never been healed. I pray for those who have been bitter towards you, God. Bitter because of how life turned out. Bitter because of what they lost. Bitter because they felt like, God, you didn't show up. Lord, I pray right now that you would show them that you are with them and that you want to heal their soul. Listen, as we're praying, I I want to give the opportunity. I, I could not leave this moment without giving you the opportunity for you to allow God to heal your soul from the sin that has entangled you. You see, that's the beauty of the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus, that God sent his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not die, but have eternal life. This picture for the Israelites in the Old Testament was a foreshadowing of what God would do for each of us through Jesus. And Jesus died a sinner's death so that you and I can experience eternal life in the oasis that God has. Jesus said, I came to give life and life to the fullest. That doesn't mean you won't ever go through a desert. Doesn't mean you won't go through hardships. But what it means is that you have the faith to endure. What it means is that God will use every moment to show up, to reveal himself. And I'm just saying there's some of you maybe watching this now. That maybe because of a bitter moment you've wandered away from God. This is your your moment to come back to him. Or maybe for the first time ever you're watching this and you say, I need Jesus. I need the work of Jesus in my life. If that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer. Wherever you are with me, would you just, would you say this prayer with me in your heart? Would you say, Jesus, today I receive you. I receive the gift of salvation. I commit my life to you. I ask you to heal what is broken and messed up in my heart, my life, my soul. I commit to follow you for the rest of my life. And so I invite you now to be the Lord of my life. Would you come into my life? Would you change me? Would you touch me? Would you forgive me and make me a new person? We pray this together in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said together, amen. Come on, let's praise God today. Let's praise him for his healing work. Hey, listen, as we prepare to sing this last song, God wants to bless you. He has a blessing in store. And sometimes we got to go through Mara to get to the blessing that God has. Would you sing with us?